0: We're going to continue in our study in the Gospel of John, so take your Bible and turn to John chapter 3. And this week, the pastor began a series on uh, Mission 1 8, which is the new vision for the church for the next two weeks, their next two years. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit more about that next Sunday. And uh, as Wellington said, make sure you pick up one of the workbooks because this is a book that you can take home with you and there's questions and answers and scriptures and it will help you go through the Mission 1-8 philosophy. I read on the internet this morning that there are only 11 more Fridays before Christmas. you believe that? Eleven more Fridays before Christmas. That is really weird, isn't it? Okay, well, today we're going to look at one of the best known but least understood uh, passages in John's Gospel. This is Jesus' uh, discussion with Nicodemus. And we need to put it in context And last week, we finished our section in chapter 2 with verses uh, 23 and 24. Uh, It says this. This is chapter 2, 23 and 24. And this is going to put the story of Nicodemus in context. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, that's Jesus, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew what was in all men. Now, here we see that these people believed in Jesus based on the signs or the miracles that he did. Um, uh, it was, this is a very superficial belief that they have. It's not saving faith. It's not the, the kind of belief that produces salvation. Uh, But what happened is that Jesus evidently performs these miracles, and uh, they must have been so spectacular that they grab people's attention. And as a result, people give him an initial nod, and they say, well, he might be the Messiah. But it's not a saving belief. Now, that's the context. But Jesus did not commit himself because he knew what was in man. We see that at the end of verse 25, (laughs) where he knew what was in man. Now in verse three, uh, chapter three and verse one, we have this statement and see if it doesn't make sense in light of 23 through25. Now there was a man. Now notice how the last verse of 225 is, "Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew what was in what. Man, Now there is a man, okay? This is one of these men that he will not commit himself to. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do what? These signs. Look up at 2.23. Many believed on him because they saw what? The signs. But he did not commit to them because he knew what was in men. He knew that they were very, you know, uh, shallow. And so now there's this man comes to Jesus by Nicodemus, and he said, we know that you are a prophet of God, a teacher of God, because no one can do these signs unless God is with him. Okay, So Nicodemus falls into this category of a person who has some sort of faith, but it's not saving faith. It's superficial. And Jesus knows it, because he knows what's in a person. Uh, So when you look at this, these next 12 verses, Give us the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, and we're going to listen into this conversation. Now, I want you to notice several things about Nicodemus. However, before we actually see the conversation that takes place, first of all, we'll notice Nicodemus's party affiliation. Look what it says in verse one: "There was a man of the Pharisees." The Pharisees were a group, a party within Judaism, that considered themselves as the purest the protectors of the Jewish faith. The Sanhedrin were not really orthodox, the way the Pharisees were. The Pharisees considered themselves the protectors, the guardians of the true Jewish faith. And here's this man, and his party affiliation is that he's a Pharisee. Now you look at his position of authority, look what else it says. He was a ruler of the Jews. This means that he is part of the ruling council of the Jews, known as the Sanhedrin. There are only 70 members of the Sanhedrin. And they rule all the affairs of the Jewish nation. Under Rome, of course. They're doing Rome's bidding, but they handle the affairs in the nation of Israel. And so this is a man with great authority. Puts him in the status of being an elitist. He'd be one of the people who would be wealthy among the Jews. And there weren't many wealthy Jews, but he certainly would be that. And then we see he was a man of a precautious uh, attitude. <clears throat> Look what else it says about Nicodemus. It says that he came to Jesus by night. Uh, he doesn't want to be seen. He's very precautious. Okay? And uh, when Jesus calls a disciple, what does he say? <clears throat> Come and follow me. He calls him out into the open. But here's this guy. He's He doesn't do that. He comes and he's. And he, he comes by night because he doesn't want to be seen. That shows you about the level of faith that he has. Yeah. This is the kind of faith that you see in the church when the preacher would call somebody to repent and believe and uh, calls them to make it public, because Jesus called people public. and They said, well, no, I won't do that. I'll just sit here, you know, and uh, I'll say, Jesus, come into my heart, you know, but no one will have to know about it. And that's not saving faith. That's the kind of faith that Nicodemus has. It's this... Uh, this hidden faith. So now what happens is Nicodemus speaks. So notice what he says in verse 2. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. Notice first of all, he shows Jesus respect. He calls him Rabbi, which means teacher. He compliments Jesus. He's probably read, you know, a book on the power of, of how to make friends, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. Carnegie, course, one of those kinds of things. But he compliments Jesus. He recognizes Jesus as a teacher. And then notice the pronoun there. He says, Rabbi, we know. Uh, now the question is, is he representing the Pharisees? Does he say, we all, all us Pharisees, know that you're a teacher come from God? Or is he just, in other words, did the ruling, did, did the Pharisees send him to check Jesus out? Or is he just saying that? You know, trying to make it look like he's got a lot of people behind him. Is, it, is he really just a self-seeker? That's something that we don't know, but it's important that you see that, that he uses the pronoun we, we know. So the question is, is this an official visit on behalf of the Pharisees or is this an unofficial visit? Is he just seeking Jesus out on his own? Okay. Now, notice the next thing. He says, Rabbi, we know something. We know something. Okay. What do you know? We know that you're a teacher come from God. On what basis do you know that? Because no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. In other words, we know that you're a teacher come from God because we've seen what you can do. Seeing is believing. Is that right? Is seeing believing? We know that you're a teacher come from God. We can make that statement because... We see the signs. and No one could do these things unless God was with him. Is that true? Can magicians deceive you? Can they call fire down from heaven? If you didn't know they were a magician, they could pass themselves off as having power. Can psychics deceive people? They might not be able to deceive you, but they can certainly deceive a lot of people. So seeing is not necessarily believing. See? And the emphasis here is on the word no. Look at that. We know something. Here's what we know, and he tells it. Now Jesus speaks. This is very interesting, in verse 3. Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, or most assuredly. He says, okay, you know something? Now let me tell you what I know. Let me tell you what I'm certain about. Verily, verily. Truly, truly. Most certainly. Okay, you say you know this? Let me show you what I know. Here's what I know. Verse 3, I say to you that unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't tell who's from God or who's not from God. You can't tell whether I'm doing these miracles by the hand of God or I'm doing these miracles by Satan. You can't tell that. Or whether I'm just a deceiver and I'm a magician. You can't tell that. Why not? He says, because what do you have to be to be able to tell that? You have to be born again. You see that? You can't discern what's from God. Unless you're born again. It doesn't say you you won't. It just says you can't. You see that? See the word can't there? You don't have the ability to discern what comes from God and what doesn't come from God. Unless you're what? Born again in verse 3. Now what does that mean, born again? We talk about it all the time. What does it mean, born again? Well, it can mean two things. It can mean, born again can mean born again, born a second time, that's the first thing. Also it can mean, in the Greek, born from above, which means birth by God, okay? Two things, born again a second time, or birth from above, okay? Uh, Jesus says you cannot know when God's moving unless you have been born from above or born again. That's why the media, that's why the press can't tell the difference. Between a Jehovah's Witness and a real Christian. That's why they can't tell the difference between a Mormon and a Christian. See, that's why they can't tell the difference between Benny Hinn and Billy Graham. They don't know the difference. Why not? Because they haven't been born again. They can't. You wonder how? How can they be so blind that they can't tell that they can't distinguish between the two? How can that be? Here's the reason. What does Jesus say in verse three? Unless you're what? Born again, you can't see, you can't discern, you can't figure out what comes from the kingdom of God. Now notice the phrase kingdom of God there. What in the world does that mean? There are a lot of words that we just sort of let roll off our mouth, but we never define them. You can't see the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, according to Jesus and John the Baptist, was an event that was going to start when God broke into time in a very unique way. This was going to be an end time manifestation of God. And God breaks in, in a very unique way, in the person of Jesus. And Jesus is God's representative. And Jesus does God's building. And then eventually, Jesus is going to go back to heaven. He's going to send down the Holy Spirit. And the church is going to be the venue where God's bidding and the kingdom of God work is being done. And that's what this is talking about here. John prepared the way for the kingdom of God. Remember that? He came on the scene and he said, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He prepared the way for it. But Jesus announced it. And Jesus embodied it. Jesus performs God's bidding. And performs the miracles. And Jesus is doing something brand new. Something that was never done before. He's beginning a new creation. He's forming a new family of God. Okay? You have to be born again. You're born one time into this creation. You're born a second time into a new creation that God's forming called the kingdom of God okay and is manifested through the church and through individual Christians. So now Jesus says, unless you're born again, so what happens? Nicodemus says, we know and what does Jesus say? You can't know. Nick says, we know what does Jesus say? You can't know. Unless what? You're born again. This is not a nice conversation. Okay. So, now Nicodemus comes back. A little pushback here. He's not going to let Jesus get away with that. So he comes back with a sarcastic dig. Notice what he says in verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus says, you must be born again. And Nick says, what do you want me to do? Hop back into my mother's womb? What do I do? One step at a time? One foot at a time? Hey, this Nicodemus doesn't really believe that a human being could do that, get back into his mother's womb, does he? If he does that, if he believes that, he's a turner, right? He's not a teacher of Israel, he's not a ruler of Israel. Obviously, he doesn't believe that can happen. Birth is begins life. You don't get back in your mother's womb when you're an old man. fact, when you're an old man, where's your mother? She's dead. So what kind of response is this? It's a sarcastic response. He's going to put Jesus in his place real quick. See? And uh, he has the authority, he thinks, to do this. So I think this is sarcasm. And so then, what we have is Jesus second certainty <clears throat> look at he says in verse 5 now Jesus answers Nick okay and he says truly truly or most assuredly I say to you now, look at this you've said that to me now I'll tell you what I'm going to say to you you ready <coughs> unless one is born of the water in the spirit he cannot what doesn't say he won't enter what does it say he can't enter. He can't enter. So what we have here is in verse 3, he said you can't see. You can't discern the kingdom unless you're born again. And in verse 5, he says you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Two things. You can't even tell when God's moving, and you can't enter into the move or the realm of God unless you're born again. Now, but notice in verse 5, he says unless you're born of water and of spirit. You see that? Now what in the world does that mean? Unless you're born of water and spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Now we have five different theories on that. Five popular theories out of about fifteen. So I'm just going to give you two of them. The two that are possible. Water can mean water. Okay? So Jesus says, unless you're born of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. When John prepared people for the kingdom, what did he tell them to do? Get baptized. In water. He said, I baptize you in water. That would prepare you for the arrival of the kingdom, but it didn't get you into the kingdom. He says, But there's one coming after me who will baptize you in what? In the spirit. So you can see that's a possibility. He said, You have to be born of water, but that's John's baptism wasn't good enough. You need to also be baptized in. In the spirit, in order to enter into the kingdom of God, you need to be born from above. God's spirit has to birth you into the kingdom. That's theory number one. The second theory in verse five is the word between water and spirit. It's the word and. Do you see that? In the Greek, that little word and can also be translated as even. So here's how it would read I say to you, unless you're born of water, that means, or even, what? The Spirit. See, oftentimes when Jesus talks of water in the Gospels, He's referring to it as the Spirit. He's going to talk about the woman at the well. Remember? He says, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask Him for water, and He'd give it to you. And what did she say? She said, go give me that. I don't want to have to come to this well every week. Every day at noon and get more water. And then... The writer Gospel, writer John says, he was actually talking about the spirit that would well up within her. See, so water can be a metaphor for spirit. So in this case, it would be, Jesus said, unless you're born of water, that is the spirit. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. So, those are our two major theories, and either one is good, and it doesn't really matter because they end up saying the same thing. And to emphasize this, you see what happens in verse 6. This is where the emphasis is. Jesus says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is what? Spirit. If you are born just of the flesh, if you're physically born into this creation of ours, then you have a human nature. If you're born again through a divine act of the Spirit, then you get a divine nature. The one birth is a natural birth. We all have had the natural birth. It's a birth of the flesh. But there's a second birth. It's a birth from above. That's a supernatural birth. You need to be born again supernaturally in to get into this kingdom of God. And unless you're born of water and spirit, you cannot make it into the kingdom of God. All of us in this room, I assume, have had a natural birth. Unless we were hatched. <laughs> Sometimes my wife thinks that I've been hatched. But I assure you I had a natural birth. But in order to get into the kingdom of God, we also need a supernatural birth. And some of us have not had that, and some of us have. So now look what he says in verse 7. Still talking. He hasn't stopped talking. He's talking to Nicodemus. He says, so don't marvel. Don't be shocked when I say to you, You, Nicodemus, must be born again. And not only Nicodemus, everybody must be born again if they want to be able to discern the kingdom of God or enter into the kingdom of God. Now notice the word must speaks of necessity. You must be born again. It's absolutely necessary if you're going to enter the kingdom of God. Now, it doesn't say to go to heaven, does it? doesn't say you have to be born again to go to heaven. And that's usually how we preach this passage. You have to be born again to go to heaven. But what did John the Baptist say about the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is what? At hand. And Jesus not only said it's at hand, he said the time is fulfilled. It came in the person of Jesus. And he began to operate in kingdom power and doing things. And so you can be born into the kingdom right now. And experience the fullness of the Spirit, which puts you into the kingdom. And there'll be a time when the kingdom comes on earth. And you'll reign with Christ for a thousand years. It's not all about heaven. Heaven's a you know layover between you being on earth now and guess what? You being on earth during the kingdom of God the millennium when it comes to earth. So, this isn't about going to heaven. This is about entering the kingdom of God. And having life that goes on forever. So, he says, you must be born again. It's necessity. Now, Abra- uh, that uh, Nicodemus was born naturally, right? But obviously he wasn't born supernaturally, or Jesus wouldn't have said that to him. You must be born again. But Nicodemus was trusting the fact that he was born a descendant of Abraham. And Jesus said... That which is born of the flesh is flesh. You need to be born again. Okay? Now look at verse 8. Now Jesus gives a little bit of an explanation. It's, it's a very interesting explanation. It says this. He said, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it. But you can't tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. He said, Now let me explain how this is, Nicodemus, this born again thing I'm talking about. He said, It's a mystery. It's like the wind. You can't see the wind, it's invisible. You don't know where it comes from. I don't know where the wind starts. If I said, What's your address, Mr. Wind? You can't give me an address. Where do you end up, Mr. Wind? have no idea where the wind ends up. You can't see it, where it's coming from or where it's going. But you know what you can see? You can see the results of the wind. So if you go outside, then guess what? The trees are blowing. Guess what you know? The wind is blowing. How do you know? Because of the results. So you might not understand the wind, just like you might not understand electricity, but you see the results. The lights are on, right? It's a mystery, this born again thing. Uh, But you see the results. Now, look what he says right at the end of verse 8. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. See? You'll see the results in their life. You might not be able to explain it all, how they're born again. How does a supernatural event take place? I can't explain it. How did Jesus touch someone's eyes and suddenly they could see? I can't explain that. It's a mystery. But guess what? I can see the results, right? I can't explain how everybody's born again, the whole dynamics of what happens in everyone's life when they're born again. But if you are born again, guess what? It's like the wind. You might not be able to explain it, but you sure can see the results. There's a fruit, fruit of the Spirit in the person's life. See? And that's what Jesus is saying here. So, if Jesus were singing this verse, instead of saying this verse, verse 8... He would sing it like this to Nicodemus. The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. You know, that's pretty bad when you come up with that, isn't it? So, uh, now we have Nick. He finally gets a word in edgewise. And look what Nick says. Verse 9. Nicodemus answered and said to them, him, How can these things be? Now wait a second. I thought he said he knew something. So he had a lot of knowing before, didn't he? He says, how can these things be? I'm baffled by all this. Jesus. Now by the way, this is the last time you'll see Nicodemus speak. All the way until like chapter 7 of John's Gospel. will come on the scene in another context. He has nothing else to say after Jesus has said this to him, except, "How can these things be?" You know, I'm, I'm, I'm mystified. I'm, I'm baffled. Okay. So look what Jesus says. Now somebody said to me as a teacher, Doctor Street, you know, I'm still confused. You know what I do in the classroom? I say, "Well, let me reiterate. Let me try to explain a little bit better." That's not what Jesus says. Here's what Jesus says. Look at verse 10. He answered him and said. What are you, a turner? No. <laughs> don't you have the brains you're born with? And that's how I would usually answer a student, right? No, I would never do that. Look, but look what Jesus says. He says in verse 10, Are you the teacher of Israel? And you don't know these things? Now notice the teacher. Do you see that? Do you see that? The teacher? Nicodemus called him a teacher. Called Jesus a teacher. Nicodemus is the teacher of Israel. That means he is the lead teacher for the nation of Israel. He sits in what's known as the chair of Moses on behalf of the Jewish people. He speaks with total authority. And Jesus says, You mean you're the lead teacher in Israel and you don't know these things? No, wait a second. Wait a second. In verse 3, Nicodemus said, We know. What does Jesus say? Verse 10. You don't know. You see that? We know. And Jesus says, you don't know. You know. Yeah. So, But what does Jesus say in verse 11? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what what? Yeah. What we know. And we testify of the things that what? We've seen. You claim to have seen things? You claim to know things? Let me tell you something. Truly, truly, of a certainty, I'll tell you what I know. So Jesus says, the things that I'm telling you are true. These are things that I know. Things that I have seen. Things that we have seen, and guess what? Verse 11. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify what we've seen, and you, Nicodemus, do not receive our witness. You know, you're, you're just not accepting it. This man's problem is he's afraid to take Jesus and his words. Now how can Jesus know certain things? How can Jesus see certain things? It's because he's the spirit man. He's the spirit man. Because when he was baptized, and John the Baptist baptized him, guess what happened? The end time spirit that begins to formulate the kingdom of God comes upon Jesus... And Jesus becomes the first member of the kingdom of God, in a sense. The first member of a new humanity, of kingdom citizens that God's creating. And Jesus, therefore, knows what the kingdom is, and he can see the kingdom. And he says, most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen. We have the ability to see and the ability to know. And you do not receive our testimony. And then he says this. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, you do not what? Oh, I thought this was a man who claimed to believe, claimed to know things, based on Jesus' miracles. He gave him a a little nod toward belief, but he says, you do not believe. He says, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And the answer is what? What? You don't accept earthly things that I say to you. You won't believe that. How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And the answer is what? You can't. You won't. You can't. You can't believe any of these things. You, you don't have what it takes. You don't have the ability. Yeah. You don't take Jesus at his word. You know, you're know, you just out. Okay. So now what happens in verse 13 is the writer, the Gospel writer John, interjects a statement here. He's going to give an explanation. Okay. Now, he's going to give a commentary on what's just happened. Jesus said, if you don't accept earthly things, how will you accept heavenly things? Now, John says this. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who came down from heaven. That is the Son of Man who was where? In heaven. In heaven. This is John's commentary. It's written in 95 A.D., 50 years after all these events happened. He's explaining all this. And here's what he says. In 95 AD, he says this. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who came down from heaven. Okay? So who would that be? Jesus. He came down from heaven. And he says, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who came down from heaven. That is the Son of Man, who, in 95 AD, is what? In heaven. Do you see that? So, when John's writing this, Jesus is already ascended. He's taken his position at the right hand. He's running God's kingdom. And he's saying Jesus can speak of heavenly things. He knows heavenly things. You know why he knows of heavenly things? Because before he came to earth, where was it? In heaven. So he knows a lot. And he's seen a lot. And then he came down to earth and he began to teach these things. And some people take him at his word. And others, like Nicodemus, reject his word. And then John said, and then he ascended back into heaven. That's where he is right now in 95 A.D. See, that's John's interjection right there. Does that make sense to you? Okay, now look at verse 14. Jesus continues, ready? He says this, And as Moses lifted up the serpents in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now Jesus is going to give an illustration. Okay, And this is a reference to A rebellion that took place with the Jews when they were coming through the wilderness. And he's going to use an analogy. Here's, Here's the analogy. He says in verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now remember what happened. The Jews come out with Moses and they start grumbling don't they? And so, God sends poisonous snakes to bite them, vipers to bite them. And the poison enters their system. And they start dropping over left and right. Incurable. Sort of like the Ebola plague that's going on right now. And the people finally cry out and say, Moses, do something! Do something! So Moses intercedes on behalf of the people. And he says, God, these people are dying left and right from these snake bites. What should we do? God said, here's what I want you to do. Get a brass, make a brass serpent. And put that brass serpent on a pole. And stick it in the ground. I want it to go about 10 or 15 feet high. And tell the people just to look upon that serpent. And if they look upon it, they'll live. So Moses thinks, i sort of crazy, but I'm going to do what God says. So he does it. He puts a brass serpent on a pole, sticks it high up, and he says, God says if you want to live, look upon the serpent and live. And those who looked upon the serpent lived. They were healed of the poison. Those who didn't look upon the serpent, who didn't take Moses at his word, who didn't believe in God's instruction, they died. I always tell my students, I can imagine the scene. This guy gets bitten by a serpent. And his wife says, Moses, said all you have to do is look upon that pole and you'll live. He said, pole schmole. That pole can't heal anybody. And she said, All you have to do is look upon it. And he said, I'm not going to do that. And he drops over dead. But the neighbor next door, he gets bit. His wife says, Look upon the pole. She said, Where is it? <laughs> goes and looks, and guess what? He's healed. Okay. Now, what you have here is you have an analogy. Okay. In the Old Testament, you had this plague like Ebola. They had no center for disease control to help them with the solution. And weren't they lucky? By the way, (laughs) so God gives a solution. Now, watch this. They've got a problem. They've been poisoned. Where's the poison? It's inside of them. Where's the solution? Outside of them. All they have to do is by faith take God and His Word and look and live. Jesus says, As Moses lifted up the serpent, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And this is the solution to our sin problem. Jesus dies on the cross we got a problem. It's a problem we've been bitten by sin, and it's in our system, and we have a death penalty. And all we have to do is look to Jesus and live. Notice the solution is outside of ourselves, isn't it? The problem is inside of ourselves, and the solution is outside of ourselves. So he says, the Son of Man must be lifted up in verse 14. Do you see that? Now notice there's the word must. Do you see that? Also, in verse 7, there's the word must. Look at what it is in verse 7. Marvel not that I say to you, you must, what? Be born again. Look in verse 14. As Moses lifted up the servant, so what? Must the Son of Man be lifted up. Both are necessities, and they're linked together. Here's the situation. Number one, you must be born again. Number two, in order for that to happen, guess what? The Son must be lifted up. And you must look to the Son for the solution to your sin problem. He will heal the sin problem and give you eternal life. That's what the Scripture is all about. Okay? You need to have eternal life to enter the kingdom. In order to get eternal life, you have to be born again. And when you're born again, you're born into God's family, God's kingdom family. Okay? And the condition is faith. You need to take God at His word. It's not seeing a miracle. Remember what the writer of Hebrews said, Faith is the substance of things what? Not seen. God wants you to take him in his word. Don't demand a miracle. Okay. So, that's what it means to believe. Not mental acknowledgement like Nicodemus and these other people who saw miracles had when they came to Jesus, but he did not commit himself to them because he knew what was in them. He knew it wasn't a real commitment. Faith is taking God and His word and committing yourself wholeheartedly to Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you enter the kingdom of God. That's what the scripture is all about. So if you look at verse 15, you have that purpose statement. See, So the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now watch this. Here's the purpose. Why must the Son of Man be lifted up? That, so that, in order that, whoever believes in Him should what? Not perish, have eternal life. So we look to Jesus. And we commit ourselves to Jesus. This is what faith is. Faith is saying, Lord, it doesn't make sense how your death on the cross could give me eternal life and my sins could be forgiven. But that's what you said. So guess what I'm doing? I'm taking you at your word. I'm throwing myself into your mercy. Oh Lord, forgive me of my sin. Give me eternal life. Scripture says you'll do it. He'll give it to you. You say, what will it be like? I don't, it's like a mystery. It's like the wind. I don't know how it happens. Can't explain it. I wish I could explain it. I'd be like Jesus. But Even Jesus couldn't explain it in this case. I can't explain it. But guess what? I know that it will happen. Because if you take God into His Word, he, would He lie to you? No, you will be born again. And we will see evidence in your life. There is a result that you've been born again. Unfortunately, what I think is that there are many church members who are like the walking dead they look alive. They're walking. They've been born naturally. They've been born of the flesh. But they've been bitten. they got a fatal disease. Sin disease and they're going to die. They're doomed. They're like zombies. Walking around, looking alive for the walking dead. And one day they will die and face the judgment. But those who are born again will receive life. We receive life right now. Eternal life while we're still walking in this body. Because we've been born from above. And we will receive life everlasting in God's kingdom. Life in this time and in the time to come. Jesus says, you must be born again. Not a nice confrontation. He stops Nicodemus in his tracks. Now you think Nicodemus would have said what? I think maybe I need that. But guess what he does? The way he snuck in at night, he sneaked. Maybe sneaked in at night. He weasels his way out at night. Not heard from for another seven chapters. Next week we'll look at the famous verse, John three sixteen. We'll try to finish this chapter, and then the week after that we'll go to the Samaritan woman. Lord, we thank you for uh, this passage. It tells us that we must be born again. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. It's just must. Help each one of us to examine our lives. Do we see the results of the wind blowing, the spirit blowing in our lives? Or are we just like every other human being that walks the earth? We live, we breathe, we die, and that's it. Oh, Lord, help us to to say, Oh, Lord Jesus, if we aren't born again, Oh, Lord Jesus, birth me into your kingdom. I throw myself upon your mercy. Give me eternal life. I turn, I want to be part of this forever family that you're creating. I want to be used by the Holy Spirit to do your work around the world. Lord, it would be great news if someone in this class, even this day, would cry out to you like that. In Christ's name we pray.